Hi.NET Rocks fans. Before we get started, I'd like to mention Rob Eisenberg's awesome Durandal project, an open-source JavaScript library for creating apps with elegant, clean code on any platform. And guess what? He's got a Kickstarter project with only a few days left to reach the goal. Support open source, get cool rewards, and build the future web. Join Richard and me in backing the Durandal Kickstarter at tinyurl.com slash durandal14. That's D-U-R-A-N-D-A-L 14. And hurry, the deadline is January 10th. .NET Rocks episode 938 with guest Kathleen Dollard. Recorded live Wednesday, December 11th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And by Franklin's.net, makers of GesturePack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. St. Louis, it's .NET Rocks! My goodness. Oh my, my, my. <laughs> Silver Arches got me. You know, there's something very soothing about driving from city to city. Yeah. That's not happening flying from city to city. Well, and, you know, it seems like with this road trip, because we start at noon, right? flying is like, Getting there by the skin of our teeth. First man, thing flying. in the morning. On the yeah. upside, we're like done by nine o'clock at night. That's true. You know, instead of up at one or two in the morning. Right, right. So getting up at four AM to get on that six AM flight is not quite as brutal. It's fun. I highly recommend this lifestyle to anyone who <laughs> wants to be a podcaster. I don't know about that, but we're making it work. Yeah, we are. Hey, right. let's roll the better know framework music. Awesome. <laughs> Everybody, what do you got? Well, as you know, um, I've just been sort of enamored with Signal R, and yes, you have, and you've been building some cool stuff. I've been building some cool stuff, man. Signal R is magic. I was talking about magic to the crowd earlier, and uh, this just think about an abstraction over sockets with a common API, yeah, and it works everywhere. Yeah. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and it's dynamic, right? There's no types. It's just beautiful. Just connect. You just say. You know, make this event happen. Send this string. Send this, whatever it is. Send this object, right? Whatever. So what have you done? What have you been up to? Well, so um, we talked a little bit about OWIN, O-W-I-N. Yes. It's an open framework that Microsoft has supported, and uh, they've also built support into .NET. Mm-hmm. And now there's a, a Web API to OWIN self-host module. Oh, really? For creating... Self-hosted web API and static content apps. You can build them in WPF. You can build a console app that basically hosts static web content and web API huh. is a web API server and a signal R server. Make it run on your desk. Cool. Yeah. Or on, in Azure. And it just works. And it just works. That's so neat. I've been fooling around with this stuff and it's very cool for our app that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. It's going to work great because it's local. It, you can run it behind the firewall, 
and with a bunch of people. Yeah, we were talking about using room, Signal R between multiple machines, but on an internal network. On an internal network. And you're saying that's right. no IIS required. No IIS required. Beautiful. Just runs. Just runs. That's so beautiful. if you're in a room of geeks, you want them all to point to a single place where you can, you know, send messages through that. Yep. Boom. Done. So go to. Uh, if you want the NuGet package and all that, it's tinyurl.com slash O-W-I-N-S-H, Owen Self-Host, O-W-I-N-S-H. That brings you right to the NuGet gallery where you can, uh, where you can get that. And it's, uh, if you want the actual NuGet, uh, in package, it's install dash package, microsoft.aspnet.webapi.owenselfhost dash version space 5.0.0. That's current. I'll memorize that. Yeah. Beautiful. No, it learn it, love it. I love it. That's really great. Yeah, it is. It's pretty, pretty freaking cool. <laughs> You're having a good time. I yeah. like that. Who's talking to us, my friend? I grabbed a comment off of show 877, and that is a show we did with Ms. Kathleen Dollard when we were talking about .NET 4.5. Yeah. But not focusing on async. Because right. everybody always focused on async around right. 4.5. She talked about everything. Talked about it. everything else, which I thought was really, really cool. Yeah. And we actually got a bunch of great comments off that show, many of which I have read in the past. But I never had a chance to read this one. And so uh, this is from Brent Berger, who says, uh, quote, only write the code that only you can write, close quote. And even, quote, only do the logging only you can do, close quote. <laughs> are such powerful statements that relate to most of what was in this episode. In other words, quote, don't be a plumber. Right. Close quote. Right. Let developers get down to the core of the issue, of the problem, of the solution. I'm glad to see Microsoft and even JavaScript libraries embracing this ideology, leverage existing solutions of people that have already solved these problems. Mm. Just write the code you need to write. Right, right. Kath? Yes, that is such an awesome lead-in to tonight's conversation. I think it will be, yeah. Man, that's fantastic. But let me awesome. close Brent out here with Brent. Thank you so much for your comment. I completely agree. And a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Android, iOS, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises. Who'd love to build you an app? Just go to DiatomEnterprises.com. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have hundreds of hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts, still releasing over 40 new courses a month and offering a free 10-day trial, 200 minutes of access. Pluralsight has a wide range of topics, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything and everything Microsoft. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And now let's bring back Kathleen Dollard. Kathleen is a .NET coach for Crystal Meth, M-E-F, M-E-F, <laughs> for Crystal Meth Lab, focusing on mentoring partnerships. She's passionate about helping individuals and teams up their game without disrupting project schedules. She's been a Microsoft MVP since 1998, has given hundreds of speeches around the world, and published numerous articles on .NET. She's a Pluralsight author, including the recently released What's New in .NET 4.5 and .NET Puzzles, Gotchas, and Cautionary Tales. Is that released yet? Yes, Puzzles is released. Uh, event tracing's coming up in a couple more weeks. Awesome. She also teaches core.net technologies to let coders write better software faster. Give it up for Kathleen Dollard.
Oh, we're going to have some fun. Oh, yeah. We always yeah. do. Nice to see you, Kat. Yeah. It's yeah. good to see you. It's nice. I could come all the way to St. Louis to see you yeah. here, but it's yeah. great to be when, in St. Louis. We don't normally ever see each other at conferences. I mean, that's just sort of reality. Well, that's where we see each other. Yeah. 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 It's been a while since we've really done much else. But nope. yeah, conferences all the time. Working all the time. And see, if, have you been focusing on the async stuff or the other stuff? I've been doing some async stuff. I've been doing a lot of other things. I'm uh, The immediate stuff that people can put in tomorrow, I'm very passionate about tracing. Mm-hmm. and changing the way people trace, which is really important because most people don't trace. Right. So we sort of need to kick that and get it going. You and talked about that in your show at DevTeach. I, I did. And, and just to shorten that up a little bit, we're we're right now in a change to what's called semantic tracing. And mm. uh, fortunately, the patterns and practices people sort of took that name a, a different direction. But the bottom line is, if we put code into our applications that say, yo, this thing happened, gives the minimum de- uh, data that's needed, and all the tracing stuff sits behind that abstraction, yeah. then we can put tracing in today and not worry too much about what the tracing mechanism is. And as we switch from log for net and trace source over to ETW, mm-hmm. that all happens behind this abstraction. And so that's a change everybody can make today. They don't have to get real involved with the new technology. They can just set up for the future really well. Well, and that really is a, abstraction is a generally a good idea for any technology that you want to swap out. Well, and it, it's arguable that once we go to ETW, we'll never change again. Okay, yeah. so so I, n- I never want to say that, and I don't say that, but I understand why some people on the team say that, yeah. because we may never change again after we go to ETW. It's in the operating system. Uh, the idea that the operating system API would ever change right. is just phenomenal to think about, because it's so much part of the operating system. Sure. Microsoft can't exist without that API. Yeah. So them ever changing it is, is a pretty far reach. They might just build on it. I mean, it's... It- you never know what's going to come down the path 10 years from now. Right. And there's certainly things behind it that could mm-hmm. be a little bit better, a little bit cleaner. But for in terms of our code, will our co- will it ever need to change behind the abstraction that's built into .NET? Maybe, maybe not. But I still want it behind this other abstraction sure. because it gives us more flexibility during development when mm. we may want other things to happen. Right. And if you don't want to go into ETW, and the reason to maybe not go into ETW today, can I say suck? Yeah. yeah. Okay, the Jeez, tools suck. Don't hold back around here. Okay, the tools suck. Okay. The tools for ETW today just suck too completely. Hard. Okay, they're mm-hmm. too hard to use. It's Perfue. We're still using Perfue, and we will be for a little bit longer. Right. And so if somebody says, oh, man, I really want to trace, but there's no way I can teach my team Perfue. They got too much to do. I'd say, fine, great. Put it behind an abstraction and use whatever you want to you use. Log for net, yeah. And the only problem with those is that we have to worry about going on to a second thread. And yeah. and that mm. and that's what ETW does and log for net doesn't. So long many years ago, low those many years ago, we were talking to you about code generation. Yes. That has been your milieu for many, many years. And then you sort of, you know, got into all these great features of C sharp and you just sort of went went away from code generation for a while or just stopped talking about it at conferences. But Sort of it's resurfaced again in your in yes. your life. Yes, and I'm very excited to talk about that. I got very quiet for a long time about code generation because I was very depressed and sad because the state of the art was so bad, was not changing, and with due respect to a lot of brilliant people that did it, Time after time after time, I saw somebody new coming to the table and making all the classic mistakes that had been made 20 or 30 times before mm. in the .NET space and mm. 100 times before outside of the .NET space. Are you talking about Microsoft? Well, I, I would like to not name names. <laughs> to protect the guilty? At least 
some of it was inside Microsoft or by Microsoft people. Some of sure. it was outside. But I think we're now in ready to look at the whole problem again and look at it fresh with a lot of ideas that have been built up from painful experience, from people that uh, that worked very hard at things that were not either financially successful or mm -hmm. didn't grab the community. Um, it's it's hard to think of a really successful code generation thing out there. And this is something we've been doing for 50 years. Well, tell me about, you know, the, the stuff that's built into Visual Studio that the uh, that Visual Studio is built on, actually. So so Visual Studio has got some tools for doing uh, code generation. They're about to change in some very, very big ways. Right. So before, we were using T4, and we were right. using this custom tool plumbing, which is really horrible plumbing. I can't remember it the acronym really for T4. It really does. The it's T, text, T, T, T. Yeah. Templating. Toolkit, there's another T in there. Yeah. Uh, text transformation. T text transformation tool. Templating toolkit. Templating toolkit. Something like that. Those All, all those four words are in there. Right. Don't um, know what order, but they're all in there. Right. But so, you wouldn't put terrible in there. They, you like no, that. No, no, T4's fine. You T like T4. Razor's just as good. Yeah. Um, all right. Don't use XSLT anymore. It's what I did in my book. It was long ago right. and far mm -hmm. away. So you really don't, don't do have an argument. I guess that's what I was getting at. You really don't have a problem with T4. Oh, no, 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 no. T4's fantastic. It's fine. It's 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 an ASP.NET style, so it's very simple. Yeah. It's just insertion points. How you do your insertion points, who cares? Mm -hmm. Okay. The problem is the infrastructure around T4, because T4 is just a language. So it's sort of like having C Sharp with no compiler. Right. Or C Sharp with uh, no see. Visual Studio. It's those tools around it's it. It's the implementation of T4 that you really... Yeah, the way you actually run it. That's yeah. been the ugly part. And it's it's been pretty ugly. Hmm. So what's changing completely, and, and I am just incredibly excited about it, is the implications of the Roslyn, what's happening with Roslyn. All right. Okay. So time out. Yes. Who... Uh, all right. Who's who, who's into Roslyn? Who, we, we know about Roslyn. A couple of hands. All right. Okay. Four or five. So we need to back up a little bit. Yeah. Roslyn is uh, an up-and-coming technology. It's basically a rewrite of the language of C-sharp and VB. And it's based on dynamic compiling and being able to just take code from a, a, a string uh, from, from any code without any sort of classes or any kind of structure around it and just generate code dynamically. So you can have code that writes code. You can, it enables scripting. It enables all sorts of great stuff, none the least of which is code generation. But I want to clarify a little bit what you just said, if yeah, you please. don't mind starting please. with, okay? Because it's if I heard it's a rewrite of C-sharp and VB, I go running out the door screaming and crying yeah. because we don't need that, okay? We don't want that. Everything you know and love about C-sharp and VB still stays there. Well, yeah, from your perspective, there's no change. But the compilers that you use today... Do you really want to think about what happened when they were written? We're talking 1998. There was no Agile. Some of the people on the team right now were in high school. Think about it. What were you doing in 1998? Would you want to use that code? Now, it works, and there's a million unit tests and blah, 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 blah. But what do you think it takes to change it? Mm. Kind of three acts of Congress. Right. And, you know, like, you have to get along with the... I don't know. It's, it's horrible. So they're redoing the compilers. And by redoing the compilers, they made a very small decision, which I think changes the whole world forever, which is that when you build a compiler, if you don't know any compiler theory, you create a syntactic tree or some way that you look at the text and you stick it into a structure you can read and understand and reason about. That's called a syntactic tree. Then you take the syntactic tree and you party on the syntactic tree to draw lines and arrows around it so that you get what's called the semantic tree. So now what Rosalind does that's never before been done in the history of computing 
that I know of is to completely expose the syntactic and semantic trees. As an API. As an API. So as of today, right now, September 2012, there's a fully existing, fully robust API that you can go in and read those trees and get the information about that. In the future, you'll be able to also build those trees. And what that means is that code, as we think of it, sure can go into syntactic tree, but so can anything else. Anything can create a syntactic tree. Anything can maybe create a semantic tree, although that's a little harder and I don't know if they'll actually do it. Now, we're not going to get the building of the syntactic trees probably day one but we definitely will get the reading of them. And that starts changing everything. Yeah, it certainly does. And, and just for the whole, the whole uh, language community, I mean, anybody who wants to build a language, anybody who wants to cre create languages, I mean, this is, this is huge. It, it, it's, absolutely, it's absolutely huge, I believe. And if you think about also the fact that in today's world, every editor that we care about and everything we care about in our editors works on what's called language services, which means mm. that your editor understands your code. And would you still write Notepad? I mean, is anybody here developing Notepad? Every once in a while, somebody says, yeah, man, <laughs> macho, <Yeah>. me. Proudly. <laughs> Proudly, yeah. But, but it was a demo we used to do at the beginning of .NET, right? Yeah, Remember yeah. We used to write out a bit of yeah. C Sharp, and then yeah. you just, because it was all, and then fire it off to the compiler. Well, that was to appease, you know, the, the purists who do, who used to write a notepad right. in the 90s, and they wanted to see, they wanted right. to see it without all the Visual Studio hype. They right. wanted to see right. something at, very simple. So you you absolutely can still do that. You yeah. can still do it now. Um, but but if you think about all that coloring, and then you think about something like ReSharper. So ReSharper has to actually go and build their own version of the syntax in order to do what they do. And because they do semantics, they have to do that. I don't know what they do behind that shell. Mm. But now everybody parties on the same story. Right. And so this is just a fantastic leap forward for it. And it means that we can also do things like... Uh, um, refactorings. Right. You guys will be able to write refactorings. Right now, it's huge to write an Only Mark properly. Miller can do that stuff now. Right. right? I mean, you got to be super <laughs> smart. And, and it's going to it's going to make that so much easier. So it's, so that's really good. It's also implications for code generation itself we can talk about. But the big picture of Roslyn is really the landscape is about to change because right. we're empowering open source. We're empowering third parties. We're empowering Microsoft. And, and I'm really excited because I think that whenever we see Roslyn, they know we don't just want new compilers and nothing else. They're right. going to be trying to put new stuff in Visual Studio. Of course. Yeah. But if I'm a business app developer and I'm listening to this, I'm just wondering, like, how does this impact the apps I build today? So I, I think that it, it, first of all, today's apps in Visual Studio 2013, it mm -hmm. doesn't at all because they'll just go forward. Right. Won't be any changes. Um, the, the thing that I think you care about is, is the people that it's empowering that are already trying to help you and can do a better job. Right. So um, I think you talked to Mads, and so the languages teams uh, can look at what they do in a new way because these compilers were so brittle and scary and doing anything to them was hard and it took a lot of effort. So the languages teams can now sit back and go, wow, what do we want to do? So they can innovate faster. And they can, they can innovate without first having to look and see what's easy. Right. Okay. Right. So before they couldn't just say, this is easy, this is hard. You know, that's what they had to think about. Now yeah. it's just like all easy. Right. And so they can decide what's truly good for the human mm. and um, to spin it back to code generation. Mm -hmm. uh, you, we talked earlier, and this is why I love that quote that you did. It was mm -hmm. so awesome because we want you to write the code that only you can write. 
That's pretty straightforward. And the, the poster child for this, which is not my favorite example, but it is a poster child, is I notify property changed. How many of you have ever implemented that I notify property changed stuff and you love it? <laughs> Hands went up. Hands went down. <laughs> okay. Now, if, if, if we could take every stupid piece of code that you write, and there's ones that are stupider than that, okay, every stupid piece of code like that and make it just be, well, I notify property changed is implemented on this class. Right. Just do the right thing. Just make it an attribute. Okay. Something. That's what we can do with Roslyn. That's what we can do with code generation. So it makes aspect-oriented programming style things possible. Yes, but we have to be careful using that phrase. Mm. Well, you know, I, I, what I said, li that's why I said like things. I mean, because that implies <laughs> a technology, right? But what I mean is... I, I just want to tell it to do something and forget about it. Right. And, and actually, I want to spin around to that, though, the reason that I think we want to be careful with that phrase. And it's the reason that I finally, um, I, I get a chance to talk to Anders Halsberg some, and he's finally, he's brought me around to his way of thinking. Now, aren't you surprised that if the two of us aren't on the same page, eventually <laughs> it's his page we wind up on? Okay, <laughs> aren't you surprised? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, he does seem to be right a lot. <laughs> right. There's there's one issue we're, we're coming around to, and he's eventually just going to use his language for my page. But forget <laughs> But on this issue, what Anders says, and it's absolutely true, is what's the point of code? Did you ever think about it? What's the point of code? It's for you to talk to a computer and to talk to yourself and to talk to your friends. Right. So the danger of aspect-oriented programming that we want to stay away from is to have something happening behind our code that, that we never see. see and we don't yeah. know happened. Right. Okay. I agree. That's really scary. So yeah. the, the I notify property change to me, it's like, oh, sure, we can do that one. But we have to be careful when we start. We don't want to put foo at the top of the page and all of a sudden massively different things happen we have to be really careful well, i mean this route. is the same thing with code generation right i never and my rule is i never do uh, generate any code use any wizard or do any sort of magic that where i don't understand the code that was generated right i don't know what it is i don't understand it and i can't read it and i don't get it and, and, and there's two right now, I think. And it's that very easy to get in over your head with that stuff, absolutely. especially with code generation. So as we go through the next, I love that question, because as we go through the next round of code generation, the, there's two, in my mind, really big questions on the table. And one is your relationship to your generated code and your original code. So I could show you examples where a very short code first kind of thing generates two or 300 lines of code. And in my opinion, that two or 300 lines of code is what you want. It's what's real. It's what you want to debug. It's what you want to look at. Mm. It's what you want to do. All those things. And all you're doing is getting there faster. But that's the real code. So this is a question right now that's very much on the table. Should they do work to let you debug back in your code first? Well, my opinion is no, because I'm with you. I want to see the yeah. real code, party on the real code, and the rest of it is just how I got to the real code easier. Right. That's what I'm doing with my generator right now. But yeah. I'm also really glad that the hard part of this, other people are looking into okay, whether they can Okay, do. your generator? My generator. Your yeah. generator. You guys can, you can help me decide something here. I'm really struggling with this. I have a code generator. Talking about my generator. Yeah. <laughs> so the problem I've got is that I have a code generator that, that um, it solves some problems around event source and ETW tracing, but it's designed to be fully customizable to so take any code first into any code you want. So call of it. It's, and it's, I'm happy with it. But it's written against the September 2012 API. Right. And here of we are. Roslyn? 
Of Rosalind, right. Yeah. Okay. So it's dependent on Rosalind. And so I'm sitting here in December of 2013, almost 2014, knowing that another API is coming. Yes. And is it's obviously going to be a big one. This month is, it's going to have a lot of changes, yeah, it's right? Been a year. Mm. So, and, and they, they built on top of it. Okay. So I'm like, I really think I want to wait to release it till mm-hmm. I get the new API. You know API. what? You need you need a code generator to refactor that code <laughs> generator. <laughs> really, probably, probably, but I'm not quite. I'm not quite there. I'm not quite there. <laughs> I've yet, forgotten so. it's been so long since they. Yeah, did a it's Rosalind just killing. And and I will say that 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 I guess I kind of get why they're waiting so long. But I will tell you that they have heard this just absolutely screamed at them that we need a new API. And I think my opinion, this is not inside knowledge, this is my opinion, is they're holding the line because they want the next one to be it. They don't want to put out another mm. one and go, oh, yeah, we changed something. They want the next one to be something they can put up on NuGet. They can have people partying on with a little more confidence than what we've got right now. And people like me going out and putting out a new generator saying, here it is. And then, oh, they changed something. They trying, I think they're trying to avoid that. Mm. Either that or they're just too busy because I really have said, please, 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 please. Well, we all know if it's been that long, it's going to be dramatic change. Yes. It's not only been that long, a lot has happened on top of it. So it can't not, especially around language services, which I care a lot less about. But Mm -hmm. yes, there's going to be a lot of changes. So when you're all done with this thing, give us an idea of what you can do with it and how much time it's going to save. I mean, give us some real concrete, give us a real concrete example in, in the context of an app. Okay. So, um, it, it's a little hard to answer that question. So let me just, uh, I'll talk at it for just a minute. Okay. Um, before I, I did a lot of work with application code generation and, and looking at what it takes to round trip an entire application. And I've pulled away from that because of problems with architectures. And there's so many architectures mm. and kind of everybody has to do their own architecture. Sure. That kind of turned into a bit of a nightmare. And we, we had a company that didn't succeed trying to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I did with Fernando Cardenas, who was the lead on that company. Um, so now... Um, what I think we need to do is file code generation for a little while and get everybody comfortable with that and then go back to application code generation. So I'm interested in the hard code, the code that's hard to write. So the event source class with ETW is very simple in the simple case. And in the hard case, you can have, say, 40 or 50 trace events, which isn't a lot, that generates six, seven, 800 lines of code. And I would like you to write just one line for each of those and not have to worry about anything aligning or any way to mess it up and do all the hard stuff for you. And if you need extra overloads, create them. And if you want an interface, create it. And all the hard things in event source, I want to just do that. That's what my generator will do out of the box. That's, that's, the, that's the reason that it's put out right now. All the innards to it mean that any code first, which means just any class with a bunch of properties or methods or whatever in it, can turn into metadata for any T4 you want to use. So other people will find other problems. We'll certainly do property change. It's out there. It's easy. Uh, And we'll find other hard problems. And people will kind of let it grow. I want to try to grow it organically. We failed a lot with this. And I want this one to be right. So your, your, your generator is based, uses T4. It uses T4. It doesn't have to. As a language, to. but it doesn't have to. doesn't have to. can use I anything. It. It's, it's um, you know, MEF is the name of my company. I'm, I'm deeply yep. embedded in dependency injection. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is dependency injection, so you need some sort of a metadata source, some mm-hmm. sort of a, 
a template source, some sort of a way to write but to files or someplace. you're fairly agnostic about All that's is. agnostic. Every yeah. single thing is agnostic inside of it. I, yeah. I really believe in that kind of architecture. I've seen it work beautifully in something like event source, and mm -hmm. I've seen when we don't quite get there, it really causes a lot of problems. Mm. Roz has been cooking for a long time. Yes. It's been cooking much longer than September last year. Yeah. I can't remember when the first CTP came out, but I it was at least like a year Fusion before Power. that. It's five years away forever. Well, you know, and it, it's interesting because I get questions up on stage. I've been asked whether .NET was dead, is C Sharp dead, and will there ever be another version of C Sharp? Right. I get these questions, and I think it's because we had more than a year. We had near silence from Microsoft, and because we're under NDA, we had near silence from MVPs. Mm -hmm. So I just put out a post, you know, in the last, uh, recently I put out a post that was, hey, here's the dots that you know about. Connect them up yourselves. I can't connect them up. I'm under NDA. But I can t point out to where these dots are, and you can connect them up. And certainly, Mads released recently in NDC was was you know that was was one thing that we've got out on the yep. table now. Yeah, and a great show with him. Absolutely, we've got wonderful things that are coming. Okay, so we did, I mean, it's really coming this time. It's really coming. It's really coming. Real soon. Uh, now. It's yeah, not a Christmas yeah, yeah, yeah. miracle. It's a 20, 2014 miracle. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, I was told, and I'm, I believe I was told, I, I believe this, I've been told, no one has corrected me, that on stage at NDC, Mads had a slide that said the current version that they are using, that the team is using, mm -hmm. a Visual Studio was compiled in Roslyn. Now, is that freaking amazing? That is just, just astounding. I'm always astonished at this idea of, so you compiled an app, you compiled the app for C Sharp in C Sharp. Yep. Really? And in VB and VB. Okay. Yes. It, so they are dog fooding this at an incredible level. Their apps are bigger than your apps will be. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think there are very few people that have apps bigger than Microsoft's well, apps. Well, I think it's important to remind folks that the original version of C Sharp was written in C++. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. The original version of Visual Studio was written in C++. Right. Yeah. They had nothing else. They didn't have a C Sharp yet when they started working on that compiler. That's right. why the menus were lowercase. <laughs> <laughs> I can get, I can tell you a registry setting to fix that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Richard, you know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to chill out on the couch, inject a little crystal meth, and hang out with my dog, Rosalind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> it's time to... Uh, <laughs> It's time to uh, give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before mm -hmm. I do that, let's talk about Telerik Icinium, which lets you develop, test, and publish iOS and Android apps from a single code base using only HTML5 and JavaScript, all from within Visual Studio. Cool. The capabilities include comprehensive backend as a service running in the cloud, integrated support for Kendo UI and jQuery mobile, as well as integrated testing and development capabilities, all making Icinium a robust end-to-end -end mobile app development platform for .NET developers. Telerik Icinium is available on a subscription basis and is now part of the Telerik DevCraft Ultimate Collection. So start a free 30-day trial of Icinium with support at Icinium.com slash DNR. That's I-C-E-N-I-U-M dot com slash DNR. And don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks. For sure. So who's our winner, bud? Today's winner is Paco Varela. Congratulations, Give him a big Paco. hand. Paco just won the Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. Just about everything Telerik does in one box. It's a $2,000 value. We give one away every show. 
Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. And, uh, you know, every December we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member. Mm-hmm. This is the second year we've done it. Both years, the winner has opted for a development machine. Right. Yes. Uh, I mean, the original one in 2012. Yep. Was uh, a big tower machine, which was great fun to spec out yeah. and build. This time it was a tablet, well, a laptop to build tablet software. So right. A little different setup. Andy Smith is pretty excited about what he we've is done. excited. And yeah. uh, all good things. Well, we like to ask our guests, of course, if you had $5,000 to spend today on toys, technology, Kathleen Dollard, what would you buy? Well, I, I, I would definitely get a big touch monitor. The tw- yeah. that twenty seven inch, uh, but that's only that's not five thousand. It's not even grand anymore. It's not yeah. even a grand. It's only like seven hundred dollars. All right, so get six of them. Sh- Surround <laughs> yourself with yeah. touch monitors. Yeah, I'm so excited about hardware right now. But <laughs> yeah, it's hard to spend five thousand dollars. I just saw, uh, you know, what one hundred and twenty eight gig USB sticks are going for on Newegg right now. Eighty bucks. The fast ones too. Eighty bucks. Two hundred and fifty megs a second. Like they're smoking fast. That's insane. Awesome. You know, a, a chair costs more than a monitor now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a big, good 27-inch touch monitor, a chair costs more. If you want to spend money on a monitor, we can get you a 4K monitor, and they run up in the 3000 Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but are my eyes good enough to take advantage of that? I'm old. old. Yeah, they're very, yeah, yeah, all these retina displays are getting tough to read. Plus, more, the more I understand about the way 4K works right now, the more I'm not buying it. Well, you know what it is. I think they're they're squeezing out the old people. This is their way. <laughs> this is their way this is the of, ice yeah. of making the old people go away. Yeah. Uh, the, the the HDMI specification right now to actually drive thirty eight forty by twenty one sixty is HDMI one point four, and there's almost nothing that implements it yet. Yeah, I talk to people with the, some of the Retina displays, like on the tablets, and they're, yeah. they're like, "Yes, but this dialogue and this dialogue and this dialogue in Visual Studio I is can't still zoom so up. little." Yeah. yeah, I saw sure, a guy yeah. with one of the big 15-inch MacBook Pros with the real Retina display, and he had three code windows open side by side. He had a magnifying glass to look at, <laughs> <laughs> but he had three code windows open. You get some things for your glasses that magnify. Right? There you Maybe go. that. I don't know. I don't know, but yeah. Somebody taps you on your shoulder. You look around. Oh my god. <laughs> Well, I, I do carry in a 22-inch suitcase a, f- a full a full workstation. I have an external monitor. I have an yeah. external keyboard. I have uh, a shuttle. A there isn't any shuttle. new cool technology like 3D printing or anything that you'd well, really like to... Well, 3D like printing to... is kind of cool. I don't know what I'd do with it that I wouldn't throw in the trash, and I'm yeah. trying to reduce my footprint on right. the planet a little bit. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that's kind of... You wouldn't like to make to some do. more trash? That you could... <laughs> no, I'm trying not to make trash. Yeah, that's, know. you know, kind of what I'm doing. So I don't know. I mean, I, I've, uh, I would certainly get, if I had spare money, I would certainly get a, a Windows Pro machine. I haven't quite, I've got mm-hmm. an RT, but I haven't quite sp- sprung for. Gone for a Surface 2 Pro. Yeah. I haven't sprung for the Surface 2 Pro yet. So yeah. that's, that's kind of nice. And, you like uh, the stylus? I do. I, I, yeah. I have a stylus with my X230. So mm-hmm. I have a Lenovo X230 and I have a stylus with that. And I'm really fond of that. Handwriting recognition is really amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's really cool. And, um, Whenever I'm working with an application that's not yet touch friendly, I got that little stylus. I just pull it out and I start being able to. The stylus is small yeah, enough. Yeah, I can I can actually do it what I need to, to do. do that. So, yeah. that works pretty well. No, it's hard. I don't know. I don't spend a lot of money these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. I go on another tour of of some place. I just got back in the Balkans speaking oh, tour. Yeah. So I go on another speaking tour. I guess. 
That's uh, not technology. Yeah, whatever ever you spend it on, it has to be portable. Okay, you care about portability. I do, I do. I I live out of my car, and I, you know, pretty much. So I have a, you know, I have an apartment in Colorado, but I don't go there very often. I'm always <laughs> on the road someplace right else. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always someplace else. Sure. My dog's there, so uh, you know. So yeah, you know, I've always looked at thinking back on this Rosalind thing. I mean, I've looked at it as compiler as a service, and to me, it felt like okay, so we could finally replace VBA, like. We could now have a you know C sharp as the super macro language that we can build into any any app we want to build. Right, and in and there's a demo of that with the Rosalind from 2012. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard a lot about that, and no. I don't know if they're going to ra- raise it up to full release right now because there's other things I think that are more important with this release. But that's really important. I don't get so excited about that because I'm willing to to learn PowerShell. And right. and I understand the people, the argument that I don't want to learn another language. I don't want to learn PowerShell. But PowerShell's piping of objects from one thing to another is so incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. And its ability to make things a drive. If you haven't looked at Studio Shell from Jim Christopher, um, this is a third, I guess it's on NuGet, uh, or it might be on GitHub. It's on one or the other. And it allows the, your project sitting inside Visual Studio to be accessible like a drive, like, like CD, which is get child, or you can just say CD, my project, my, my class, not whatever, all the way down, which just you ask question, like, tell me every place I have the word partial, I want a list of those classes mm-hmm. and, you know, how to find them. It's incredibly complex and mount things that as you drive can do. M, and basically. you're mounting it. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's, it's totally, it, it's, it, so mm. I'm willing to use PowerShell. So I'm, I'm more excited about seeing Visual Studio de- expose an interface that is sane. Yeah. Which it's not, that's not really right now a super high priority, which will help both C Sharp. Just to complete Richard's uh, comment there, we did a show recently with Glenn Block who Uh wrote uh, Script CS, Uh which is using Rosalind as a a scripting language. Right. You know, well, to, to enable C Sharp as a scripting language. Yes, and that's yeah. uh, that's very cool. I haven't played with it a whole lot yet, but I do think that the idea that we can put scripts into our mm. uh, applications as long as yeah. we get the trust problems you know solved correctly, uh, it does open up a lot of really cool things that we can do because it's kind of like the next stage of dependency injection, pushing it further down mm-hmm. the pike, even if we don't have our users type it in. I think one of the challenges you have around PowerShell it's one thing to learn to use PowerShell, and there is C Sharp within PowerShell, although I think PowerShell would benefit substantially from Roslyn just because I know that C Sharp compiler is kind of wonky. Yeah. But where I want to get to, and what I was pressing on initially around, around this thing, is actually building your app to respond to PowerShell commands, creating your own set of PowerShell verbs, is not easy to do. True. You know, and, right. and I'm wondering if Roslyn is going to lend itself to just making all of that simpler. Well, I think if you if if you want your application to have to have nouns and verbs, that's very easy to do in C sharp. Talking to it from C sharp because that's really what we're doing. Even though we don't always think of it that way, right. you know, we are writing APIs all the time. We don't always think of writing them well, but we can write them better, and then we can access them from a script. And so, you absolutely, it's absolutely true that that part would be easier to do. You would just give up some of the piping unless that's pulled into the script yeah. language, which would be totally awesome. Well, and I think we've got this intersection coming where clearly there's stuff. That that Roslyn in the form of script CS can do better than PowerShell can do. Right. And PowerShell has a wonderful set of, of libraries built around it, although they've been built the hard way. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. You know, the same way I see, you could see the C-sharp team having a massive benefit by re-engineering what they're building on. You almost think maybe PowerShell and all of the products that have been built to use PowerShell will benefit from that as well. 
mean, bit by bit, the different Microsoft teams, IIS, Exchange, and so forth, have been implementing PowerShell as the primary interface right. to speak to it. And right. then they build their UIs. The IIS manager writes PowerShell scripts. Right. You know, under the hood. Right. I just think they've done it the hard way now that if they had Rosalind, if, if you hadn't already done all that work, you know, you're back at IIS 6 before they've done any of this and they drop Rosalind in your lap and say, how would you make everything scriptable? Well, it, it, it gets into an interesting topic, which I think we're all going to be talking about more in a few years, which is the whole DevOps thing mm -hmm. and the fact that we as developers say, oh, absolutely, give us C Sharp, hello, that's way easier for us. Right. Ops people may not say the same thing. Ops people may say, well, I've got tools that write the write PowerShell for me and yeah. those IDEs, many of them that you're talking about, that their purpose is to write and run PowerShell. Well, they give you a little window at the bottom that says what they're going to run. And, what and this like. is how they learn PowerShell. So we have, we have sort of an, a, a, a differentiation of need on the two. And I do believe eventually we're going to come back together. We'll all be writing the same language. But I think it's going to be a, kind of a long path to get there because the, um, when you talk about people that are maybe a little worried about programming, they're not comfortable with it. That's one of the reasons that they gravitated to IT. Yeah. Um, and they're trying to get their heads around it. Then those little long one-liners, which we go, eh, we go, ick, you know, that they can get their heads around You that. really but think we're IT people and developers are going to be writing the same language someday? Oh, yes. I you think do? so because the, the APIs will eventually. So right now, like, like, like Richard was saying, we have all these APIs that are around this vast quantity of things that Windows and all of its friends does. And all those APIs. But you said yourself their APIs. needs are totally different. Yeah. Well, their needs are different, but it's just going to be too much work to have both. And as for who, we go, though? not for them, certainly, maybe for us. I don't but. think the Windows team is going to write two APIs, a power, set of PowerShell APIs and a set of C Sharp APIs. I think that they're going to have to unify if we're all going to be able to get to them. But I also think we're f closer together than we've ever been. The, the nature of IT work is looking more like development work, and the nature of development work is look, looking more like IT work than it ever has before. A lot more configuration-based, a lot more template-based, a lot of automation and repeatability on both sides of the fence. Mm. There's so much work. That's, I can't tell you how many IT guys now I've met who are taking C-sharp classes mm. and ostensibly to use it in PowerShell because it is available there. Mm -hmm. But there's, you know, Script CS is pretty powerful like it has huge potential for doing more and more of that right um and and i think that that our needs are we also are needing more devops people i think that that a, a, a i am scared now about somebody who's got a small company hires a consultant they write an app they write the app and then they walk away those people have no devops people that work for them that can help them out if there's a problem well but they have azure well, Azure doesn't help the the problems when we have breaking changes going forward, which are rare. But when if they happen to you, then that's the one that you care about. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. we do have things that happen, and when they happen, I think that we're going to have a difficulty without having long term relationships again between yeah. Dev and Ops. I think we've gone through kind of a weird time where we diverged, and it's really only been maybe the last ten years we've been pretty strongly diverged. Yeah, I think I, it's I logical that it, we'll we'll come back to talk. To, to come. We'll come back to have lunch together more often. Yeah. Whether we actually become the same people, we'll at least have lunch. How many of you guys have had lunch with an I who is a dev have had lunch with an IT person in the last month? Oh, well, it's quite a few. Maybe That's 10, more than I thought it would be. 10, 15 percent. Yeah, it's not everybody, but it's a few. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And I'm a big. I it's an ad thing I say all the time. So it's the ultimate uh, communication lubricant is pizza. <laughs> <You know? laughs> or <Bring>, beer. 
There's something very deep in human psyche about breaking bread together. Yeah. That, you know, for me as as a consultant and and as a team lead too, I, I scheduled my lunches very carefully. It was important to have, it was an opportunity to communicate at a different level with someone. Don't waste it. And and it was usually not folks in my team. I can get together with folks in my team pretty often. It's the other teams that you only get a few chances to really talk to. Yeah, I had a team I was working with in Denver, and we had some pretty stressful times. And uh, we we would do lunch uh, at least three times a week together. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, we solved so many problems more mm-hmm. over lunch mm-hmm. uh, than we ever did in the in the team room because mm-hmm. we were able to people speak at a different pace with a different different kind of respect when they're. Breaking bread, as you yeah. say. We happen to be eating noodles, but yeah, same thing. Long, <laughs> long skinny <laughs> soft bread. Hey, yeah. Kathleen, can we get back to your, your co-generation yeah. tool for a bit? Sure. Do you have a name for it yet? Oh, well. And where will we be able to get it when I'm, it's done? I'm struggling with the name right now. So it might be under Code Rapid, which is a URL that I have. Um, right now, I have to say that the files are named with my initials. So it's also right now Cadgen, which is another URL I, I know. But I'm kind of not where will we, really Where should we it. go and check, keep checking? Oh, oh, okay. So you can check my blog. Okay. So that's uh, msmvps.com. MSMVPS. Uh-huh. Uh, Microsoft MVPs. Yes. With, yes. Dot com. Okay. Uh, slash blogs slash Kathleen. Got it. So if you get the beginning, it's easy, and uh, I'll send you that so you can put it up for the show. For sure. All right. For, that's great. Yeah. And so when do you expect to have something that people can try? <laughs> well, I, I still have to work out this thing. If I wait for the API, then it's yeah. when the API releases, a week or two after the API releases. And so, I mean, exactly it's close. Yeah. And we don't know when that's going to be. It could still be two months. And that's why if I knew when it was going to be, I could make a decision. But I don't, nobody knows. I don't know. I don't think the team knows when they're going to drop that new API. Is and this something that like you, you want to do all yourself or something you want help Oh, no, with? no. It'll be open source. I want to I get out the, the basic idea. Okay. And then I absolutely want, I think one of the mistakes that we've made before with some of the co-generation attempts is that we've never got the community built. So I really hope I can find some people with a problem that they believe we can solve this way mm. and we can take this one, you know, start with one and then start adding more problems we're solving, fine-tune the tool as we get these additional things solved yeah. and then go into application co-generation, try to round-trip some MVC scaffolding, do some other things that are the big problems that I think we can address, but not with just one person. That's going okay. to take I mean, all, all I've heard you describe so far, and forgive me if I've missed this, is, is dealing with ETW for generation. So the first thing that I'm generating is a tool for ETW mm-hmm. because it's a good it's a good example to me. Yeah, great abstraction And so problem. that I want that released completely as a demo of how it works and as a, you know, if you just want to use it, use it. If you want to understand it, Here's the arrows and paragraph yeah. on the back and all that you need. If you want to extend it, I'd really like it if we did that as team so I can learn from your experience, right. you can learn from my experience. I mean, ultimately, code generation is taking a template that you write and pl- you know plugging in variables where specifics need to be, running it through a process that fills that in with specifics, right? and coming out with stuff on the other side. I'm simplifying, of course, but... Right, um, that someone writes, and that one of the things we want to do is to be able to take your code base and run many templates across different parts of it yeah. and have all of that for the final programmer using it when they're using it, when I'm using it and I'm just working, right. to have all that just be in the build. You, you won't see it except when you're debugging and you need to see that real code. And because we don't have, I don't have the ability to break into the debugging cycle, this will all be creating real code, you debug the real code, and then you backtrack to your code if you need to, or your template if you need to. Well, one of the 
challenges I've always had with code generation is then you go in and tinker with it to make it do exactly what you want to do. And now you can't go back to the code generator anymore. It's not re-entrant. Right. So I, I strongly believe that it has to be re-entrant. I have very strong feelings about this particular topic. I believe it can be. We can protect people in a couple of ways. In today's world, certainly I can talk for that longer than we want to here. But if you've got your stuff checked into source control, those files simply shouldn't be allowed to be put into source control. Very simple. Do your generation on your build, on your build server. That's the only person who can check those in. I think we can solve that problem today through processes you already know. Now, if they're not working for you, I can talk about a lot of other solutions. But I do believe that that problem we want to get around and simply not allow that to be checked in. And your in. templates will be checked in. So right? the templates will be checked in, yeah. and then that's the kind of code that you might limit who can change. Sure. You might not just let anybody go change. Those. Sure. But aren't we also talking about getting to a point here with a set of templates and generation mechanisms where coding is now really configuration? Well, yes, to some extent, but it depends on the part of the problem. So if I could tell you that, okay, fine, the only thing you have to do to write your app is configure what your domain looks like right. and configure what your logging looks like and configure one or two other things, okay? And that gives you 75% of what you write today as your application. Rocky Laka says it's a little higher, okay? okay? But it's something like that. That already is just kind of taken care of based on, yes, configuration, mm -hmm. which we can do with a code-first model so it doesn't look like ugly configuration, right. but it still is configuration. Now, all your time gets to be spent on that 25% that actually is giving value beyond the creation of the configuration, which if you define your domain, you've just given value to your organization. Okay, sure. that's important. But then also, there's something you need to write. There's something special about this app, or honestly, you should be using InfoPath or something like that. Right. There's some horrible I old tool that never worked because you've got stuff to do. You've got work to do. Well, I was also thinking um, light switch. Light switch. A another, yeah. another example on right. the light switch, I think, has a little more configuration behind it than InfoPath did. Right. But, or, or SharePoint or whatever, you know, whatever it is. That if you've got a, if you don't have work to do, there are already tools out there that let you bypass the, the whole system and just right. do configuration. What we want to do for most programmers is make configuration very, very comfortable, very easy. That's what code first is. It mm -hmm. looks like code. Um, Make that easy, configure what you can, and then start writing code. And that line between what, what you're calling configuration, metadata is the word right. I generally use, between metadata and what you write, that's going to move around a lot in the yeah. next couple well, of I years. It's, it's really going to move. Because down on the, sh when you look at SharePoint and, and LightSwitch and so forth, like they're largely mocked by developers, you know? And then you go way over on the Roslyn side where it's like, I don't know if anybody's smart enough to actually use this thing. Like, it's so incredibly threatening in a way that, oh, I write code that writes it's more code, and then it'll re-enter itself again, and then there'll be a singularity, and the whole universe will collapse in on it, right? Like, <laughs> well, you know, it gets see, weird. Okay, so that's, that's one weird. of the things we've done wrong yeah. before. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I've watched this business for a very, very long time. I was watching Code Generation long before I did it because I thought it was a failure for some very specific reasons. It's been a space I've been in a really long time, and we're so lucky right now because we have so many mistakes to, look from, to learn from. <laughs> we just have, we have literally hundreds of mistakes to learn from and they fall in some pretty big categories and one of which is if you have to think about your code generation except a little bit occasionally on the second tuesday when the moon is full you won't use it that's right. just we know that now you're not going to do it now if somebody else writes it that you trust entirely okay you'll use it that's entity framework okay so you'll, you will use, you'll use an ORM because you completely trust someone else that's very very rare yeah, that's it's true not of the all space the framework pieces too i mean 
I'm pretty glad that most of us trust the cryptography libraries because most Absolutely. of us can't write them. Absolutely. So we have this space of trust. and But the thing is, where we're going to go next in code generation is to pull away from those places of absolute trust, like the cryptography library, mm -hmm. like any framework, like these places. If they generate code, we don't care. And come into a space where you're more involved and it's more what you're doing and it's making your stupid code go away. Mm -hmm. And it has to be dirt simple. And if it's not, you won't do it. And and we know that now. I mean, that's not a maybe you won't. That's a you won't. Yeah. And I one day will probably do a spreadsheet with taking the names away and make a rough estimate of how much money has gone down that rat hole because it is definitely in the over $100 million range. They try to do that again All the people again, that again. I know of that have done that and failed, we're definitely talking over $100 million. But you're right. EF and we might be talking way more than that. I don't want that to be the next step. I don't want that to be any anybody, if you or anybody right now, I don't want them to waste any time or money. Yeah. We're going to do it right this time. Sure. And I don't <laughs> have all the answers, by the way. And I want to just be really clear on that. When I talk with great confidence about code generation. It's one view, and I know that some other people that know good stuff about this can argue these points. I had a great conversation in uh, Bulgaria with Chris Sells. Mm -hmm. We had a fantastic mm. conversation on yeah, code generation. Yeah, I think we overheard some of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a particular point. He's yes, wrong. I think Chris was very <laughs> sure you were wrong. And he was wrong. <laughs> he was absolutely wrong. And you know what the thing is, is I got to the one point. I had six points about why what I was doing is right. And the sixth one, he said, you might be right. <laughs> and on that one, I'll tell you that we're, we're, we're going to get what we need on that one. I do appreciate and, your point about yeah. the Entity Framework, because Entity Framework writes your SQL queries for you. Yeah. And that, that's plain old-fashioned code generation. Absolutely. And now we have, you know... Well, so does some other link. So does some other link yeah. stuff. Okay, well, so we have... You can go back one. to ODBC and things. I mean, yeah. often they, they mm -hmm. you know, we, I made a lot of money knowing how to use Profiler to see what kind of crappy SQL statements were coming out of these tools. Right. And figuring Absolutely. out, ah, geez, I know why your app's running so slow. <laughs> so that's another thing we've learned, mm -hmm. is that what comes out has to be really high quality. Yeah, better or than you would you have you won't written. use it. I mean, it's like there's these things, it's a, or you won't use it. And and we know these things now. And honestly, So that can also be a problem with, with code generation, because if you're the one who's actually writing the templates, you have the garbage in, garbage out. That's true, thing going but there's on. a couple of things there. The biggest one of which is, let's say that I am writing my own templates in an organization, and we want to move eventually away from that mm. and have a smaller number of architects, maybe 100, maybe Specialist. 50, mm. that are specializing in that worldwide. People mm -hmm. like Raki Laka, who's one of the people who has led having an architecture yeah. out yeah. via code generation, and MVC would be another one. Yep. Um, so we, But let's say you do write it, and let's say you write it badly, okay? If you got the metadata right, it's trivial to update the templates. Mm -hmm. right. It's only the work to figure out the architecture you should have written in the first place. So as we understand metadata, and we're going to have a fairly finite set of metadata on the domain side, mm. we, we're doing the same kind of validations. Mm. We're doing the same kinds of security questions. Well, we also make the we're same kind the of same mistakes. Things. You build apps with bad architecture yes, all absolutely. the time. And then you can't fix it. And them. you find out at the end, hey, the architecture was wrong and you need to redo it. Right. Now you've created an abstraction between the architecture and the right. metadata that mm. defines what you actually want to do. You have a mm. chance of fixing it. Right. And so uh, right. Peter Provost talks about big ball of mud. Applications right. turn into big balls of mud. Well, if you take 75% of your application and you put it behind you know, a code generation fund, now your big ball of mud can only get 25% as big as it did before. Right. And wherever we draw that line, we're making smaller balls of mud. Hey, I, it's, that ball of mud gets small enough. I can cut it apart and work it out and get it fixed and put it back together, and I, I can do it. It's just when it's too big that I can't right. do it. Yeah, so. everything breaks everything else. It's when it's a mud pie. It's a mud pie. <laughs> <laughs> so what's in your inbox? What's on your to-do list? 
So uh, other than figuring out something with a, with a code generator and getting mm-hmm. out the, the course, uh, the next Pluralsight course, which would be on event source and semantic tracing. Mm-hmm. Those are on the thing. Um, I'm, I'm probably going to make a career change coming up here a little bit. I spent a couple of years taking it real easy, doing a lot of research, doing a, taking it easy in a, in a like making money sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I'm probably going to do something, hoping to get more involved with uh, a team or two that uh, I can come in and I mentor. I career change like Chinese medicine. No, 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 no. I can't Tilapia get out of Tilapia farming. I'll be, I'll be 85 years old and still yeah, doing yeah. this. I absolutely love this business. I, the next decade is, is going to be amazing and I wouldn't do anything else. So no, not that kind of career change. Okay. Just, uh, just going to try to get, you know, find some, find some places to do, uh, some mentoring on site work and, uh, get a little bit more involved one on one with people. The technology has gotten so good now that I, I'm having so much fun with it, more than I have ever had. It's, it, yeah. and, and I just see it getting better. I see every single thing that's coming down the pike being better. Mm. I see the functionality and excitement at Microsoft. I mean, there's been times Microsoft teams have been a bit dysfunctional, yeah. and I've seen MVPs standing screaming at them because they were doing stupid things. Yep. And uh, that, that's really, really changed a lot. The like way the they talk to each years? other. <laughs> The way they talk Maybe to each ten. other, the way they talk to their customers, and uh, how many of you have ever voted? Uh, I guess I shouldn't do this on the radio, but how uh-huh. many of you have ever voted on on uh, User Voice? You've ever gone onto User Voice and voted on something? I'd say oh five, man, I can't believe people. that. Yeah, okay, you've got to start using User Voice. These people actually look at that. Okay, you can make a difference. Things change because of what you want, not just what I want and Richard wants and. Carl wants because of you guys, what you guys want too. So you definitely can use user voice or you can grab an MVP or you can grab your DE and tell them what you care about, where your pain points are. Or you, or you could just send an email because the NSAs will pick it up. <laughs> right. Yeah, they, I don't know if the NSA is sending them onto the team or not yeah, right I'm now, but we can not, get them there. Not a lot of so, NSA uh, routing going not on. Not a lot. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's going to be a great time to be a .NET programmer. It certainly is. And Hey, let's give... Kathleen Dodd, a big round of applause. She came all the way. Thank you, Kathleen. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks! .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 